My name is Alex Kashuta, and this is the Subversive Podcast. It's an excuse for me to talk to some of the most interesting people on the heterodox to heretic spectrum. Everyone from iconoclast philosophers to rogue scientists to real post-BuzzFeed journalists and our true intellectual elite, Twitter anonymous accounts. In short, they're quite subversive. Enjoy. Today, I'm joined by uh, none other than Amy Therese, uh, co-host of the What's Left podcast, uh, the first lady of the post-left, and also maybe the most dangerous woman on the internet. Welcome, Amy. <laughs> oh, thanks so much, Alex. Thank you for having me. I will, I do, I do need to intercede to um, reject and disavow the post-left. Um, <laughs> I, I don't even know what that is, but to the extent that it's a thing, I feel like it was a um, container term um, basically crafted as a weapon um, by people who sort of insist that every time anyone's thinking about politics with people outside of their very own narrow bubble, then it's some kind of conspiracy, that it's some kind of like plot, um, some kind of red-brown alliance, all this other nonsense. And so um, as far as I was concerned, like I just, I thought that the, what was happening in the kind of post-Bernie, post-Trump, I mean, it certainly wasn't post-Trump, but basically like a bunch of people converging in online spaces, um, having some similar assessments, <clears throat> pardon me, about what's going on in the present. Like, that's not um, a political orientation as such. It's not a coherent, like, ideological formation. It's not even a coherent, like, um, political block or, a, like, a, a factional or class block in any meaningful sense. It's a bunch of people talking. And so, like, I really feel like that post-left label was, like, posted onto us, but, like, to a wide and disparate bunch of people in order that there's like once you and I saw the way they did this with the alt-right five years ago it's like once you give something a label in a media space then it just becomes a specter and so you can just attribute whatever you want to the specter nobody owns it insofar as like they're not consulting with like some authoritative like post left that can like reject the shit that they attribute to it that it doesn't has nothing do you know what I mean like it's just this meant to be this totally inchoate like ghost in the machine that you can just like hate on and discipline people with so that's why like I was always just like first off the post left was a bunch of anarchists in the 90s so like I just this is stupid from the jump because I'm I, I have no time for anarchists but secondly like I don't I don't call people things um that they know themselves either um actively like endorse or materially endorse with their behavior do you get what i mean so like this label of insisting this group of people with totally different ideas totally different class positions totally different factional interests in all different countries like to insist that this is a politics is stupid to me like it's a bunch of different people in a market space who happen to have similar 
criticisms of the people applying the label. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I I kind of realized how um, you know flimsy and and non-descriptive and just kind of an, an, an attack label this is when I was called post left. <laughs> I've never yeah. been you know pre left or left, <laughs> but yeah, in, in, interesting. Um, that's what I, yeah, that's what I find so farcical about it. Like I'll be talking to people who are like literal, like straight up. They're like, no, I'm a reactionary. I embrace being a reactionary. Like I, what, what's the left got to do with anything here? It's just, it's just crazy. Like, Yeah. It's a, it's a strange thing. Like I, I mean, to be honest, I'm still kind of a, a Twitter noob. Um, actually, I, I remember when I had um, my first attempt at Twitter, like that was last year, kind of mid-year, and I had a little, mm-hmm. like super little anonymous account uh, called mm-hmm. the Infernal Locust of Control. <laughs> and I remember I had like seven followers and then you followed me and I didn't know anything about you. You were at the stage of uh, Amy Therese's ghost. Um, and, All right. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this girl is super based. I don't know anything about her, but she followed me and she she seems to be like, she seems to be running the place. So I was like really proud of my little anonymous account. But, oh, but I then- always, that's the one thing I liked about when, when I have a decent size account. Like I, I tended, and I stand by this, honestly, is I tend to find like the people saying things that are honest and interesting tend to be people with small accounts. <laughs> like, so I like, I very much like that when you get the opportunity to sort of like, um, yeah, Give maybe that's still the left. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's the leftist in me still like sort of, you know, people give me shit like, Oh, I mean, so it's like hanging out with the lobies and shit. I'm like, these are my people. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's why I stuck around <laughs> on Twitter as well. Like, you know, all these, all these little, like, just gems of little anonymous accounts that make it worthwhile. And sometimes they get big, you know. Uh, but Yes, exactly. I think, like, very much that's what's happened in that sort of, like, alt-right dissident, right, quote-unquote dissident left space is that one of the major reasons I found it so intriguing is like as someone who's been in academia been been like briefly in corporate bullshit like I found these people far more um intellectually uh engaging and inquisitive than than what I was seeing and sort of um in the academy and in sort of like you know mainstream press and all the rest of it like this is I think one of the few places where you're where people are exploring things in, like, I think, honestly, like, a, a more honest um, and inquisitive manner. Yeah. And I think the, the the scale of an account really does does make a difference. Like, I feel like I've been through kind of all the all the stages now since last year, and it, it does really get less fun, you know, after a while, because I, I feel like I've moved from being, you know, one of the shit posters to a target now and just uh you know I've, I've kind of moved to the place where I, I don't really respond anymore that much and it's kind of shitty because I really liked engaging and doing the sparring people are much more abrasive now they're just they just kind of want to take you down I don't know it's uh it's it's a weird like the dynamics really change after a while yeah I mean I think for me at least like yeah I think because you've seen sort of a very clear sort of just like a it's happened in a very like um, sort of just a really neat progression whereas I think yeah. for me because I was doing it like in a yeah, in a political like through a sort of politicization of the burning campaign and stuff it like they start it started like 
really early with me. I, I guess also because I was being such a dumbass that I thought there was some like principle that could be advanced in that space. Um, like independent of the fact that it is just like a, a sort of brand space, a marketing space to some extent. Um, and so like, at, like the first couple of years of just all these psychos attacking me, even my, when my account was tiny, that to me was just such a bizarre phenomenon. But I think now in retrospect, I sort of understand it a little bit better because it's like that wouldn't have happened had I been on the right or, or at least um, communicating with people ostensibly on the right. It's because like I was just being honest in a space that is just like weaponized dishonesty that just like disciplines people through the algorithm. Whereas like I have like non-market brain in a sense. So like I first noticed a few years ago when I was, I did a critique of like Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris and Steven Pinker, like sort of post 2016, they all sort of did books to one extent or another that were like kind of, I felt, um, failing to take account of reality and sort of trying to reassure like anxious liberals or conservative liberals in a certain sense that like everything's fine just keep doing what you're doing like because in the post-Trump moment you have all these like you know neo-libs who are all suddenly like oh god we're going to hell in a handbasket and then like Stephen Pinker like 10,000 statistics to prove that everything things fine like all this Pollyanna bullshit anyway like the whole left started like when you start dig like when you do a critique of people who they've deemed an enemy um they will like you actually will get a lot of love and a lot of attention a lot of retweets a lot of this that and the rest and like I felt that um John Peterson for example like I was really only looking at at what he was doing through like a politicized lens and so I felt as though like the methodological individualism of his bit was like not helpful sort of politically but I found all the leftists are suddenly like yeah and then also he's racist and there's racist racist in the replies and it's also just like very anti-feminist and all this shit and I'm like oh I guess maybe and then I just sort of started to notice like you know they'll they'll elevate you to the extent that you're just like attacking enemies of theirs and I just once they started doing it with me like I sort of realized after I did that critique I'm like but I sort of said all I had to say about that in that moment you know like I don't need to keep like I don't sort of want to keep leaning into this thing of just like attacking people um if even if I'm getting even if it's like beneficial to me in terms of the algorithm does this make sense like I just had this like instant response where like it was getting just too much it would be so easy to just keep doing that you know and then just blow up for doing that but then what have you got you got like this big account that's like just subject to just as long as you have to keep like attacking people that people want you to attack or whatever it's just like I've sort of said what I had to say about that I think I'm gonna move on now <laughs> and so then the next thing was me too and like that my positions there weren't popular either um and so I just I think there's something very beneficial to inadvertently not not leaning into those sort of market flows and just saying what you believe whether or not people are people are quite ready to hear it <laughs> yeah yeah there's definitely a buildup of expectation 
um, from people after a certain <laughs> account size. Um, and there's also kind of like the, the idea that, hey, okay, this is, this, is, this is your target market and this is, you know, who you're, who've been talking to, but, you know, maybe you're just not interested in that stuff anymore. And there's kind of this idea that, you, you know, you're, you're losing out if you're not catering. Um, yes, I haven't much. really done that very well because, you know, I've started with like, I think I've built a, a bit of cloud, obviously feminism posting, feminism posting is always really popular on this side. People really love it. Uh, and then I started going into like the, what are, what are the roots of the regime? And I like for, for months just posting about the regime for, you know, with like 30 likes and stuff. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's not. It's yeah, not some of my favorite tweets are not like, not ones that other people liked, but I'm like, history will vindicate me. It's fine. I don't give a shit. Like, I just, I truly think like if you want to, like, you can set up like five accounts with just like a um, totally computerized photograph that just like say exactly like the buzzword milk toast bullshit that like communicates nothing, believes nothing. It's just like playing with algorithms to like generate like a perfectly calibrated, um, you know, set of words that will satisfy people's erogenous zones. Like, what the fuck is the point? Like, you can do that by an algorithm. Why would you even bother? Like, just say what you, I think, like, just say what you actually believe. Like, you know, um, I, I think part of my problem is that, like, I was natural, like, due to my history and due to, like, the particular orientation in which I just happened to emerge on that space, like, I was actually... Um, way too close to the like the coal furnace so I could see way too much of like what was going on in ways that like um <laughs> made truth telling a bit of a liability um but I, I still stand by that like I just don't see the point if you're just there like saying all this like junk milk toast junk that everyone else says what's the point I feel like um like you said you know you you were kind of targeted because you were part of that or people had an expectation of what you sh should be because of who, yes. who you've been talking about. Yeah, it's about. just party discipline for lack of a better phrase. Like it's, and they start doing it with that whole like, um, you know, oh, you're becoming a bit of a contrarian. You've changed all this bullshit. It's like, bitch, I haven't changed. Like the, the circumstances, like as circumstances evolve, as it becomes more and more clear that like this politics isn't actually, um, aimed at doing the things that it ostensibly claims to i'm still saying the same things it, it the, the the they sort of like swim with the the flow of however this you know politics shakes out whereas i'm standing there saying hang on i thought we were concerned with a b and c and it seems you're really only worrying about d like what's going on here you know so i think like moving out of that sort of like like I, that's why I was so cognizant as well of just like you know maybe like a year ago or something just yeah about a year ago just being like yeah I'm not I'm moving away from like I'm not a leftist I don't I don't associate with this I don't I'm not pretending to be a part of this anymore but it's like kind of like Hotel California <laughs> like you can check out but you can never leave 
<laughs> yeah, that that's exactly it. And that's that's why I'm I'm also worried about the um, about the labels. Like I I feel like when I first came onto Twitter, I was like, oh, this label, okay, I'll have this label and I'll just associate with this group and this group. And they do tend to have uh they do tend to linger all of these categorizations. And you know, I've I, now I'm at the point where, you know, I have, I have no idea, but, you know, people call me a Nazi and stuff. I mean, that's, you know, being on Twitter, you're already Let kind of a Nazi. Go. All right, mate. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah whatever. But it's, it's really interesting that it's, yeah, but it's like, you know, oh, you know, because I because I was saying that I was a, a paleocon or something and everyone knows that paleocons are Nazis. So it's like this whole thing where you, you bring it upon yourself in a way. It's, 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 it's really dumb. Um, yeah. It's, I'm going to say something really spicy, but like there are no Nazis. It's yeah. like Nazism ended at the end of the Second World War. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's mind-blowing, like, but yeah. <laughs> to the extent that like fascism was anything, it was like fascism just like Stalinism and just like, sorry to tell you folks, just like democracy. These are all just like um, different state configurations, like different configurations of state capitalism. And so like you don't need the fascist mystification for state capitalism anymore you now have like like basically i think that all these people are so horny for authoritarianism um that it means they deny the fact that actually it's like crypto authoritarianism is the form of authoritarianism that we get in this particular period in history like the form of authoritarianism you're gonna get is the kind with a smiley face that makes it your choice do you get what I mean? Like, it's not authoritarianism in jackboots with, like, Nazi symbols and telling you exactly what to do. It's authoritarianism in terms of algorithms and platforms and just, like, totally plausible deniability. So you can kick someone like me off a platform for 14 months and literally, like, half the people responsible for doing it will be sitting there saying, it's not censorship. What are you even talking about? And there's nothing you can do. Like, that's a form of authoritarianism that is so implicit and so deniable that it's, I think, far more terrifying, not just in relation to being kicked off platforms, but you know what I mean? Like, I think the kind of authoritarianism, the kind of, like, lack of um, participatory involvement in the ways that a regime rules over you is entirely distributed. Power doesn't walk around with a big hat on saying, I'm the guy in charge, I'm in power, hold me accountable, hold me responsible. No, power is like some fucking crazy bitch at the CIA walking around saying, I've generalized anxiety disorder. <laughs> That's what power looks like now. You know what I mean? So just like this idea that it's going to be like Hitler with his mustache is just silly to me. So yeah, yeah if people call me Nazi, you're okay, you clown, but like... This is just a game. This is stupid. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, there's there's also the idea of adopting the enemy's frame. And I feel like I feel the same about racism. And I feel the same about people, you know, calling people Nazis and things like that. You know, the the kind of the knee-jerk reaction is to turn around and say, Oh no, you're the real Nazis and you've lost because they set the frame, you know, the people waving yes, around racist. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, you know. No, I don't even want to even begin accepting your frame. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's what, you anti, know. Anti, 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 We're just stuck in this like perpetual negation of a negation of a negation of a negation. It's just like. Yeah, it's, no, it's racist all the way down. Nazis all the way down. Yeah, not playing. Not playing. Don't care. 
Yeah. And, you know, um, people kind of say <laughs> they're aghast when I don't want to play who's the real racist. But this is this is just, you know, it's it's a trap. And I think, you know, the, the sooner people will find their way out of it or at least just just not respond, just poker face your way through an accusation or whatever. And then just continue, you know, making your argument because, you know, in your heart of hearts, you know, you're not an evil person. Uh, and the fact that yeah, someone's irritated by you, you mispronouncing their name or whatever, uh, you know, doesn't make you make you a bad person. And, you know, just 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 get over yourself a little bit. Yeah, I've always found these so strange, like something I, I have trouble getting wrapping my head around is just the extent of like sort of um, sort of political narcissism almost like a form of group narcissism that's inherent to certain political orientations like just sort of the background assumption that if you don't share their um priors then your disagreement with their conclusion it's not because you don't share the priors it's because you're rejecting the ostensibly good thing that their conclusion is supposed to support right so so if they say oh yes everything you know we have this like massive racism problem here i propose like you know these like anti-racist commissars controlling speech thought and everything in between and it's like well hang on i'm not sure that the problem is quite like i'm not sure that the problem has those particular contours but even if it did, I don't think we want anti-racist commissars controlling thought, speech, education, everything else. And it's like, and then they're like, oh, well, I guess that makes you a racist. I see that you love racism. And it's like, <laughs> well, I mean, this is just silly at a certain point. I I think that also like um, this, the, 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 I think at a certain point, like, this isn't just individual. It's not just like a few people on Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Like people want to tell you, you know, log off this, that and the rest. Like, no. This is, I think, become an abiding political technique among a certain strata of people. Like the sort of managers of the state basically have basically, I think, taken a whole bunch of like good things that people generally support um, unflinchingly. So, for instance, like they take the fact that most people are not sexist, most people are not racist, like that these there is a general consensus about just don't be a scumbag. And then they sort of weaponize that general consensus as a way to sort of um, crack open little cracks. And then once they get in a little bit, they impose the exact opposite of the thing they're pretending to reject. So like this critical race theory stuff, for example, like, people's sort of guard is down to the threat I think that that this sort of ideology poses precisely because they reject racism so if you tell them oh this this critical racist race theory stuff it's just like anti-racism because we believe in like diversity and equality and other crap like most people especially if they're not like freaks who pay a stupid amount of attention to this stuff like us you know they're just gonna be like well that sounds like a nice idea that's good. We don't like racism, of course. Yeah, why not? But like this stuff is a fucking like horror show and it precisely relies upon that generalized antipathy towards racism as a way to leverage itself into everything. 
Yeah. And that's yeah. scary, I think. It's <laughs> essentially taking the implicit morality of the society that you find yourself into and weaponizing it for more. Weaponizing power. it against itself. Yes. It's so, I, and I just find this to be such a contemptible, like, honestly, like fucking repugnant thing to, and we see it over and over and over and over again. And I'm just like, there's something really cruel and unjust in, in the way this is being um, operationalized. Like, to my mind, I just, I can't, uh, something about last year, that last summer's events, like I can't um, get myself to a place where it's okay for a president and a presidential candidate to call up someone who was shot by police in an incident and to tell him that they're proud of him. Um, this person, like, don't get me wrong, I don't have any problem with Jacob Blake. Like, I don't know the guy, and I don't think there's any point in, like, sort of denigrating people and being like, he's a felon, therefore he's a garbage person, blah, blah, blah. But, like, at the end of the day, he was at his ex's place in violation of a restraining order. There was a warrant out for his arrest for sexual assault, sexually assaulting her. He'd broken into her home um, and raped her. Um, and then he was there with his children in the car with a knife. He hadn't been subdued by Taser. It's a tragedy. It's horrible. Like violence, you know, you know, the, that situation was tragic in myriad ways. But the idea that you would call and congratulate him and tell him you're proud of him as though this is something that like we all get on board with and this is like the right thing to do to like send him all this money and to turn it into this horrifying spectacle. I'm mortified by this. Like, and the idea that this is like for all black people, what about his ex-girlfriend who was there like scared at, completely frightened by this whole thing? Like, what, how is it's just wrong? I think all this stuff, it just breaks people apart and then just like sets people against each other. You know, if you're running around saying, like, this is a movement for black lives and you know, everyone who's white is privileged and all this other crap, it's just like all you're doing is making people who are suffering, who happen to fit the opposite racial or gender or whatever category, you're making those people start to resent people who. In fact, they have similar concerns and it's making them go, well, how come black people get all this stuff? How come they're getting all this attention? How come this, that, and the rest? We don't get any attention. Like, gins up racial resentment. But, like, the point is you you start to, you look into any of these sort of families of the, the sort of um, particular victims of police violence who BLM has chosen to elevate as, like, almost like marketing campaigns. You go speak to most of their families. They're like, we didn't get shit from Black Lives Matter. They've done nothing for us. They haven't supported us. They've just used our dead kid as like a branding exercise. And that to me is just, it's not right. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's, you know? it's really cynical and it, it really kind of betrays the, the it's just, just really exploitative of, of so many people. Yes. Yes, and then it gins up all this resentment as if like one party's getting away with something and is getting benefits when in fact everybody's just suffering. Nobody is winning from this. Like the only people who seem to have come out of this with any kind of benefit is like the scumbags at the top, like Kamala and, and Joe Biden. Like they're the only ones who win from this. And then perhaps like, you know, the companies who step in and like 
Yeah, I mean, start controlling these areas via NGOs instead of any kind of like democratically participatory government. You know, yeah, there's there's a handful of you know Al Sharpton types of you know essentially race grifters who really do a lot of this. Then there's the kind of elites at the top who use this as some form of ersatz Christianity to you know repent from their you know excess wealth or whatever privilege that they have, and then they project all of their hatred onto the lower class because you know there's that distinction in in uh, you know skin chromatics that really does help, uh, and they say okay you know I'm privileged because I'm white so I'm going to atone for that by funding this stuff or or supporting it or you know dispensing these memes uh, liberally to break it to you but the privilege that jeff bezos has is not related to his skin color bitch he's (laughs) the wealthiest man that's ever lived like to my mind i think there's something really twisted in the way actually like and i think this is the most abiding characteristic of it in addition to turning like what actually as you said the implicit morality of a society against itself the other thing i think it's extremely effective at is mystifying relations of power such that people in power can attack people without power and it seems like that's the opposite of what's going on. So, for instance, to my mind, like, when Jeff Bezos is fucking scolding customers for expressing a different political opinion than him, the the idea that we would cheer that on is to me contemptible. Like, why is an incredibly wealthy businessman publicly scolding somebody who's a consumer of his products or or has decided to no longer be a consumer of his products? And this, to me, is gross. Like, why are you cheering that on? This isn't speaking truth to power. What some anonymous person who emails Jeff Bezos to contest, like, you know, his support of a very politicized partisan movement this necessarily means this person is racist and we like cheer it on. I mean, there was an equivalent example I saw last year where one of these sort of media companies, not companies rather, one of these sort of, you know, um, big leftoid um, sort of news and clips shows on YouTube. They were celebrating the, there was a woman in, it was sort of like, a, I think it was a, like a county council or some kind of like, I can't can't remember the exact level of government that it was, but it was like local as opposed to like state or federal. And basically there was like a a constituent who was there who'd come to say something to the effect of like, like, why do we have to incorporate all of this sort of like, um, like rainbow capitalist bullshit into sort of local civic governance? Like to the extent that like, why are we raising sort of, uh, rainbow flags and all this bullshit. Like, it, I mean, I think it's perfectly reasonable to ask yourself, like, if in fact we live in a liberal democracy with sort of universal access for everybody, like, you know, it was only 10, 15 years ago that we found it objectionable that these sort of same similar local councils, you would say things to the effect of, no, we have a separation of church and state, so no, you can't actually put like a, a nativity scene on council property like that that separation of church and state has been something that actually traditionally the libs were the ones trying to defend that and then all of a sudden it's like even though 15 years ago you couldn't do that with like a jesus nativity scene now it's totally fine that we put like a a transgender rights flag up as part of like the the official council business it just seems to me there's been a complete 180 that's been done but anyway so this old like relatively older man just random constituent having his say at the local council meeting said a couple of things were they was he using woke vernacular no of course not but like 
newsflash, most people don't speak as if they went to Oberlin. It's fine, you know. Um, and this woman who was actually an elected member of council then launched into a tirade against him about as if she was a victim and like how like she's the oppressed one here and like gay rights, this, that and the rest. And don't get me wrong, like I don't want to wind the clock back um, or like deprive anybody of sort of, you know, their civic participation on the basis of sex or gender. I don't, that's not what I'm saying here, but I do think that there's, I think something, um, there's a distortion going on when we will cheer an elected member of council haranguing um, a powerless like constituent who comes in just to have his say at a meeting. Like even if you don't agree with this person, like part of the beauty of a democratic society to the extent that we have one is that people can just have their say and you don't need to agree with it and you don't need to change their mind. He doesn't have any power. It's okay. And just because, you know, this sort of, you know, some kind of, homophobic sentiment or inability in the past of gay people to sort of fully actualize within this society just because this person may sort of vaguely sound reminiscent to the institutions who used to do that doesn't mean he's an avatar of them you are the avatar of those institutions now you are on a literal like she was on a sort of slightly elevated platform had a little like microphone like everything so even just like the physical setting of it where she was like raised over sort of this guy who's just down on the ground like I just there's something very I think distortionary in the way it's playing out such that people in positions of power are continually acting as if they're out of power and and sort of using that to harangue and berate and I think quite frequently abuse people without power and and it's I do think that needs to be continually pointed out. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry for my rant. <laughs> oh, no worries. No, I'm. I'm. I completely agree. Um, I essentially one of the one of my majors because I had I had a double major in, in college was a diversity management, and that was about I don't know. Seven. Did you say diversity management? Yeah, yeah. I've got a major so in diversity funny. management. That's so funny. Um, and it yeah. used to be only diversity. I mean, diversity. It was basically feminism with a few articles about disabled people in, in, in there. And it wasn't mm -hmm. really, you know, yeah, it wasn't a very yeah. it evolved back then. I don't know, whatever, eight, nine years ago. Um, but uh, inclusion, to me, it feels like that's kind of the new layer to it. Because inclusion... Uh, involves your inner state of mind in a way that diversity doesn't really because diversity is kind of the land of the quota you know how many it's you know it's being counting about who's there and who isn't you know it's more representation inclusion starts to um attack the 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 field of your mind you know you need to be it's kind of like you know at the kids party you need to play with these kids as well you need to create all of this stuff you need to reflect these values in, on the inside in a way that, you know, just basic bean counting doesn't do, you know, these people don't only need to be there, but you also need to show them a certain deference. And I feel like once inclusion came in, that's kind of the next frontier. Okay. Now, now uh, your, your inner philosophy about others, about the other is fair game for us. And now we can, you know, do our social engineering uh, on the inside. And I feel like that's when also all of this diversity consultant bullshit started exploding. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a fertile new ground. Yeah, I think that's, ex I think that's exactly right. You're putting a finger on a bunch of things. I think that like, I think the other thing that's very interesting is sort of like on the one hand, yes, 
you know, in a in a class divided society, like the people with the resources, the people who are sort of uh, sort of the big boss, the final institutions of a bunch of this shit, are the ones sort of funding and orchestrating and incorporating it. But I think what's under discussed is the extent to which actually this all happens sort of a few steps removed and lower than that at first. So yeah it's sort of happening in the universities and whatever but I actually think at this point universities and sort of these diversity management bullshit like that that sort of that gets incorporated and institutionalized actually after a whole series of sort of grassroots um contestations have played out between different sort of interest groups and constituencies and so like something that you start like I think that is beneficial about having been oriented within a sort of like a leftoid frame for a while is that like all these battles played out before they actually came to be sort of um incorporated in their more final form the way it's taking shape now so for instance like for the last 10 years within the left like this I, I think that idea that you said about inclusion and of that sort of colonizing like your inner sentiments that sort of thing I think these arguments were very much happening like within the sort of upper managerial sort of but emergent kind of young people of that strata as they're sort of coming up they were very much like sort of figuring out the bounds of the way this ideology is coming to be sort of solidified in the institutions at this point and that makes perfect sense because this is why so so you know for a, a few years ago we had people saying things like don't pay any attention it's just a few students at an ivy league college they don't have any power it doesn't matter this that and the rest they don't have any power it doesn't it's like no they may not have any power right now but these institutions are the petri dishes of the people who are about to um, be in charge of everything. That's what these institutions are. So no, I'm not saying that a 19-year-old at Harvard um, has any world-changing control. But if most of the 19-year-olds at Harvard today are sharing this relatively deranged ideology and way of being in the world, it's not going to take very long before those 19-year-olds at Harvard are 30-year-olds at investment banks and within you know every institution in government all the rest of it so like i think that, that that's the sort of strange part of it is that like i there was a bunch of shit that was happening like five six years ago that now is just being incorporated in ways that i would have never thought possible so like a few years ago he would say things like um I just always found it preposterous when people would say like i was told i was um bigoted for for not um I said something to the effect of like I just said like no I wouldn't I sorry I I I have no interest in dating a trans person, which is as far as I'm concerned no reflection on um, whether or not trans people should have like civil rights or whether or not like I don't want to deprive anyone of of rights and dignity but that's not the same question as whether I want to date somebody who is of a different gender than than the than the gender I'm attracted to which is men. Like, I don't need to, I actually, I should not need to explain this in like bigotry, anti-bigotry anti terms. We should be able to have like 
personal preferences as to who we're attracted to, who we love, who we like, what we enjoy. And it seems to me this sort of Zizekian concept of like compulsory enjoyment, compulsory love is sort of tacitly present in all of this. So like, as you said, it's not enough to simply like materially or sort of like civically incorporate um, some kind of like just a quality or a quality of opportunity at the very least among these sort of like a stipulated descriptive identities. Suddenly it has to be, if you don't love this person, <laughs> A, it's, it's due to their descriptive identity and B, that means it's due to your bigotry and you are de facto, like you are a priori doing something wrong. And it's like, no, maybe that person's just a dick. Maybe I just don't like them. Maybe they're a wanker. You know, maybe I don't like what they have to say. Like, and that's totally fine because not liking somebody is not the same as like violating them or doing some kind of like, you know, something that we want to sanction. It's okay for people within, you know, a free society to have some kind of like antipathy towards each other. It's the point at which that antipathy like tips over into something that is threatening the collective or threatening individuals' liberties that we have a problem. But like, it's okay to just like live and let live. You don't have to, not everyone, but they seem to want like love and love all the time, this compulsory enjoyment as if the only thing other than hate is its exact binary, which is love. And it's like, no, how about we just not give a shit either way? Why do we have to fetishize people in one direction or the other? How about we just like treat people as people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, there's, you know, this, this is obviously not a new input into this discussion, but I feel like there, there's definitely a very deep um, kind of religious, like millenarian dimension to this because, you know, we, we kind of have enshrined this idea of, you know, equality, uh, equality and under the law. And, you know, the, the original basis for this was equality in, in the eyes of God, which kind of has a completely different flavor to it. You know, it's, it's that, you know, dignity and all sorts of things that are essentially kind of Judeo-Christian values baked into it. Now we've moved into a phase where kind of those, that scaffolding falls away because we're, you know, we're secular, uh, but we still have this core value very deeply entrenched of equality. And, you know, when you talk to people about equality, what they expect typically is it doesn't look like equality of opportunity in like the classical liberal sense, you know, that that's also typically, uh, you know, one of the first steps. It's like, okay, you know, we have equality of opportunity, but, you know, if people end up unequal at the end of the, I don't know, the fifth iteration of equality of opportunity, there must be something wrong with the system. Uh, and I feel like this, this, um, this feeling that, you know, we, we say we have equality, but equality is not what happens, really does kind of turn into some form of, you know, religious fervor at, at a certain point. And it turns into- It's a shell into, game. Yeah, it's constant it, changing goalposts. Yeah, and it turns into kind of the, the the love thy neighbor like yourself thing. And it, it is really like, you know, kind of like a Christian heresy. It's all about, uh, you know, glorifying the, 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 the downtrodden and, and lifting them up. And because it doesn't see itself as a Christian heresy, it doesn't see itself in the context of religion, it can go even further because... If you don't think, you know, you're the adherent of a religion, you just think your ideas are common sense, you know, and then everyone needs to have these ideas. Because, for example, if you're a Muslim 
um, you know that, you know, there are people who are Muslim and there are people who are not Muslim. But if you're like a neoliberal, you know, obsessive about race and gender, then you think everyone in the world needs to have this religion right now because you don't see yourself as being, you know, you're not in the grips of a, some some moral obsession. You are just having common sense and you want to, you know, help the downtrodden because that's common sense. So I feel like that's that's a kind of an, an added dimension to this. You know, people don't really realize that they're in the grips of something that might not necessarily be common sense in, in, in that exception. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that um, this is like where my where the Marxism is very useful to me insofar as like um, any sort of ruling class and in, in sort of the way I would look at it is that like we we live in sort of a degenerated like bourgeois order. So, you know, this sort of um, bourgeois and petty bourgeois set of sort of um, ideologues and apparatchiks and all the rest are very much the um, inheritors and and controllers of a world um, where, in fact, the the equality of the bourgeois revolution, the sort of like uh, egality, fraternity, solidarity, this this was amongst the, the, the bourgeoisie, right? This was not between the bourgeois and the proletariat. It never was. And so what I think keeps happening is they keep trying to so 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 you know any ruling class will have the the sort of necessarily needs to project its own ideas and its own assumptions in a totally universalizing manner um because to do otherwise would be to suggest that there's some other order or some other class that is being excluded. And so like in reality, I think the only universal class is in fact the working class. And I think if you engage with most working people, they don't, they're not buying any of this bullshit and it's totally fine for them to just hang out with people of most races and genders and whatever without needing to have a fucking guidebook from Ibram Kendi as to how to do it. You know, like none of this is like shit that makes any sense to normal working people because they're already in a frame that is far more universal than that of the fucking masters of the universe and their apparatchiks one layer below them. But it's just that like actually at all these institutions, you have a bunch of relatively rich white originally and increasingly relatively rich multiracial people who are feeling like their particular class is unable to sort of come up with this vision for a future. Because honestly, I think we are in fact in like a decadent bourgeois society that's no longer doing anything useful or productive and, and can't envisage a future because the, the, the future, I think that the only one where most of these contradictions get resolved is one where actually like the mode of production has changed such that like it is meaningfully democratic, but 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 because you can't, like no ruling class is going to give up power. They can't even imagine a world where they're not in power. So what they keep coming up with those all of these utopian crackpot schemes or all these like so-called excluded classes who are not actually classes at all. They're these invented fractions of the same class who are not meaningfully excluded. And so like if you sort of come up with this fake class that you can then say, oh, we're going to incorporate this class in and then everything will be actually universal. And so you d- they just keep moving the ball further along the road because like short of some kind of like massive revolutionary change, which is not going to happen at their hands, is not something they have any control over, then 
they don't I don't think they have any ideas. I don't think they have any sort of ways in which they can reconcile the contradictions between themselves and working people, which is actually what's causing all of these problems. Like if you have a society where the majority of people don't own anything, don't have any meaningful power, um, don't have enough charge over their lives to sort of fully self-actualize in meaningful ways, then that society is going to have a whole lot of misery, a whole lot of unrest, a whole lot of like, um, you know, things like crime and disorder are actually things that we produce as well. Like you look at the ways in which the latter half of the 20th century was handled in terms of cities and deindustrialization, all these sorts of things that are just, they were not handled effectively. They're not handled effectively now. And so we sort of go from like hyper incarceration to like hyper anarchist bullshit, like, Oh, let's just let out everyone, no matter how violent they are. Let's just send like millions of dollars to prison bail funds. How about we just not worry about crime at all? It's like, this is just the opposite of the same thing you were doing before. You don't have any solution. You're not actually changing anything. You're just like moving the packaging, changing the terms and conditions. It's just, it's the same thing like with when you, you have with you know destigmatization movements where there all of there's all of these like negative externalities from you know like people getting like hyper obese from corn syrup or you know women having to resort to online sex work and the only answer that the the regime has for them is that like oh don't shame them for it but this is your negative externality you've you've fucked up here and you know people don't are not obese because they they want to be obviously no one wants to be because it's you know it's quite a strain on your ankles and you know a thousand other problems but um you know it's it's the wait hang on this is what no but that that obviously that you just put in there like obviously i mean i share that i think that if you were to ask the vast majority of people who are especially heavy they would they would agree um but i think the move now is actually to deny that yeah well, it's the easiest way to get out of it. You know, it's like you don't yes, have to. Yes, that's what I think too. Yeah, it's a rejection and total deflection of your responsibilities to then like, so 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 the whole like stigma thing or destigmatize. Yeah, it's just, fe- I see all this bullshit is just fetishism across different binaries. So it's like, oh, okay, we used to have a negative, negative value um, attached to a fetishized version of this thing. And so then like, in, in response to, you know, the formerly negative stigma that we attach now, let's like fetishize this thing in like a positive way. Um, but it's like, a, but this is just a denial of reality in either sense. And it's also a denial of the responsibility that you have as the people in charge of sort of resources and institutions to sort of give people a chance to live a life where they're actually doing okay rather than it being about your feelings about them in either direction whether it be positive or negative you know yeah and it it also protects the system because it essentially it it just creates another layer of products that you can sell people you know you're just gonna create uh you know huskaroos and you know all sorts of stuff for for people who are, are larger or you know you just you just create another market of people to send, you know, inspirational social media posts to and all sorts of, I don't know, things to, to relieve their, their anxiety about this thing that they know is, is, is a problem, but everyone's telling them, oh, it's actually chill. Um, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's really, it's, 
it, it makes sense if you look at it that way, but it's also very dystopian. I, I, I kind of feel like people are waking up to it, but also maybe that's just my echo chamber. <laughs> I don't know how much of this, because I, every, I just, every day I, think I feel so like- so much of this happens in a narrow sphere of people. And so like it, the fact that what they're saying doesn't reflect the majority opinion, I think is often, they often use this as like a, a way to t- tell you to shut up. So for instance, like this, like a weird fetishism about like the, the anti, um, anti-paternalism, uh, sorry, not anti-paternalism, like the anti-family stuff, the fetishizing obesity yeah. stuff, antinatalism, that's the term I was after, all these sorts of things. So they sort of, the way that they sort of try to rebuff any dissent within their own strata or within any kind of, you know, discursive space is to say, well, most people don't agree with this anyway. And it's like, yes, bitch, that's my point is that like, actually you are so detached from reality that these wacky opinions you're pushing are not indicative of the majority of people. But this is like, we should assume this in a class structured society that the people at the top of it, yeah, you don't reflect their, what they're saying, but, but the move then that they try to sort of say, well, therefore it doesn't matter. It's like, no, no, like actually when the people in charge are coming up with wacky conceptions or have these sort of dystopian visions associated with family and these sorts of things, well, if those people are the people deciding policy, actually I think this is a problem and we need to sort of look at it. So all these like climate change freaks who are saying the world's ending in 12 years. Well, I'm sorry, if these are the people who are simultaneously saying you have to get on board the Green New Deal, um, it doesn't matter, like, or, like if, if they actually believe they're in bullshit and the degree of sort of apocalyptic fervor with which they could conduct themselves suggests that they do, then I think that this sort of poses a whole bunch of questions about how, um, how much we should sort of be relying on or trusting these people when they say things like, oh, we're going to create millions of union, good union jobs. If you thought the world was ending in 12 years and simply saying like, oh, we're going to create millions of good union jobs is the way in which you save the world, right? Like you'll say anything you need to. Like if they, if they, and I think to some extent they do believe they're in bullshit, maybe not all the way, but I think like this sort of, as you said, millenarian fervor underlying a lot of it is a good way to sort of basically get working class people to line up behind the people with lots of money and lots of power um in order to do their bidding and like the world's not ending in 12 years it's not like and and i don't believe for a second that this new regime of accumulation that they're instituting with the green new deal is in fact going to do anything good for working people and i think sort of in relation to what you said about sort of sympathy for the paleocons or empathy with the paleocons like i see a lot of similarities in this moment between the sort of late 80s early 90s when the first what i see is the sort of first generation of this was starting to play out in relation to nafta and i think there were a lot of working class people and then the the paleocons who saw a lot of the same things happening and tried to object to nafta the first time around and then these motherfuckers like bill clinton and and all of the sort of first round left neoliberals that basically are the architects and of today's democratic party um i think what we're seeing now in relation to the green new deal and the sort of democratic socialists of america all this bullshit this is nafta 2.0 i think um 
and and I don't believe for a moment that that they're going to quote unquote create millions of good paying enough good paying union jobs. I think what they're going to create is more misery, just like last time. Yeah, I also wanted to ask you about like the the category and the class of the worker, because um, it seems you know these these strata have really moved in the, in the last you know, quite, quite recently, I mean, with, with, you know, the gig economy, the, the outsourcing of manufacturing, like, who, who is the worker now? So like, how is, how, how coherent is the, the working class? Like, who, who participates in this class? And maybe because it's so fractured, is, is, is that why it's so hard to, to organize at that level? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, like, I really do buy the premise of, of the sort of mark Rosa Luxemburg school of thought, which is basically like, I think, quite antithetical to the way that leftoids talk about class, which is that basically like the working class needs to be a class acting for itself. And, and so this idea of like going and organizing workers is to me just this bourgeois socialist bullshit where it's like, I'm going to organize workers to like do my bidding. I'm going to basically like where workers are soldiers, just basically doing like acting in accordance with my own demands as an organizer. This is a nonsense. I think that ultimately like to the extent that um, like in like a strictly, strictly, basically the way Marx saw it is that you have uh, two primary sets of of sort of classes within a capitalist order, those who own things and those who produce things with their labor. And so the only things that workers have to sell on on the market um, is their body. And then there are other people who sort of these intermediary classes who either um, own land or other sorts of capital that they from which they derive rents so that's going to be like your small like your petty capitalists like the small kind of backwards fractions of national capital like your mom and pop stores like all sorts of just like small um sort of shop traders um sort of skilled skilled tradesmen like plumbers these sorts of things so this intermediary strata is constantly being thrown down into the proletariat and there are times in history in which actually small capitalists like those backwards fractions find themselves aligned with the proletariat and so like as long as those as long as they're aligned in a mutual cause as opposed to sort of one doing the bidding of the of the other, then that's totally fine. But what we've also had in the intervening years since Marx wrote is that we've had the introduction of state capitalism, which is totally like, which changes the game. So these leftists always talk as if we don't have state capitalism, as if it's just workers and owners unmediated by any kind of state bureaucracy. No, bitch, like post-World War I, what you had was the totalizing incorporation of national capitals through the state. So then you ended up having all these bureaucracies and agencies that basically enact the interests of the owners of everything through state institutions. And so it at this point, like capitalism is totalizing. There's no, like the, the fact that say union bureaucrats or people within state institutions are doing the bidding of the bourgeoisie like the the executive um the fact that they're doing their bidding means that these are actually enemies of working people they don't need to own 
the means of production if they're acting totally in accordance with the imperatives of the owners. Do you get what I mean? So like all these like motherfuckers who say, oh, well, actually, uh, so-and-so, like, they don't own the means of production. I'm sorry, but like if your sole function is being a foot soldier of the bourgeoisie and disciplining labor on behalf of them, then unless you are like uh, until such a time as you are confronted with the fact that actually your real interests are more aligned with those um, people who are not the bosses, like either you change that or you remain an enemy. And this is what I think the entire left is in hardcore denial about. Like to my mind, like everyone who goes to like an institution like Harvard, like all of these people in these like leftoid institutions, these liberal rags, like the new Republic, all this bullshit, these are all just manufacturing consent for the left wing of capital. That's what they're continually doing. And so like, they are actually enemies of working people. There's no, there's no Marxist way to deny this unless you literally like reset the clock back to like 1899 and start analyzing class through a prism of a world that doesn't exist anymore. Like these people are so sort of, they use this meme phrase, like own the means of production. That's not how anything works anymore. Ownership of the means of production is totally fractionalized through a million different financial instruments in and through the state. That's like you, it's, it's just like absurd and weird. Yeah. And the, the interesting part of this is that the, the, uh, the mirror image also applies like in the GOP, um, you know, people don't realize that uh, uh, capital itself is the state. And on the left, people don't realize that the state itself is capital in, in so many ways. Yes, like, these are yes. all this bullshit about like this, co- yeah, they, they do this sort of like crony, like corporatism, capitalism bullshit. I'm like, sorry, sweetie, but like there's no, there's no difference between like corporate and capital like these are the one thing it's called the capitalist state it's state capitalism and it's been that it's been the way for the better part of yeah and it's in fact, global now it is global. It's global yes absolutely yeah. so it's you know it's i think the, the 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 question that people are not looking at is scale like you you know mom and pop store it's just a completely different species of you know it's a completely different animal compared to you know any form of you know transnational corporation which has a different structure has different legal regimes different leverage different lobbyists different all sorts of things you know and the the transnational corporation does its darndest to keep out the mom and pop store from ever you know being, being even able to survive so it's it's you know the, the whole well, it's thing it's not even a matter of keeping them out it's a matter of i think sorry like the way I would think about this is actually it's a matter of sort of uh, imperialist accumulation, at least on a sort of maybe it's the wrong way to talk about it because technically, like domestic imperialism doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But the point is that, like, it's not even about keeping out competition, it's about accumulating it and subsuming it. So, for instance, like the fact that a hundred thousand at least, they say, I was looking at some data last night, at least a hundred thousand small businesses in the United States have permanently closed their doors as a result of the last year of the year and a bit of coronavirus. And the fact that Jeff Bezos has increased his fortune by almost a trillion dollars in that period. These are not separate things that are not that that one pretends that operate in different universes, and then to say things like, 
you know, over the course of last year, we had all the leftists saying like, oh, actually all these right-wing small business owners, they're the real enemy. Um, they're reactionary. They have bad ideas and the fascist. Um, I'm sorry, but when you little foot soldier ferrets are instituting 12 different policies to make sure that Jeff Bezos accumulates a ton of wealth over this period, and then you're brutally silencing anyone who even attempts to be like, hang on, this seems pretty unfair. It seems pretty damn unfair that like you're closing down my business in a manner that's um, A, unsustainable, B, not justified by the degree of risk that's being posed here. And C, like you're not even paying attention to the science while you berate everyone else about the science. This seems like a nonsense. This seems like a set of sort of overriding global imperatives that are being imposed on people irrespective of reality. And like, I think this this sort of like meme that the left speaks for working people and that necessarily like a small business owner who's clearing 60K a year is like the class enemy of working people, but these like motherfuckers doing the bidding of Jeff Bezos and his like techno feudalism that these people like that, that they're actually aligned with workers is preposterous. No, they want to like leave workers more naked and more alone and more completely and totalizingly captured by these sort of like platform oligarch capitalists. And they want to incorporate even just small business owners who do have some small portion of backwards capital that means they're not reliant on those platforms. They want to subsume those onto that onto those platforms too. And then you have people like Matt Bruning and all these others who suddenly are starting to sound exactly like um, Larry Fisk, the fucking CEO of BlackRock and pretending that like, you know, this um, big massive sweeping index funds that own both like vaccine patients and every like weapons manufacturer on earth that actually this is socialism if we have a solidarity fund like what these like there's no difference now between the left and the interests represented by massive 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 like index industry funds and so to me this is suggestive of the fact that actually like the interests of working people are directly in contrast with the interests of the left the left sounds like the same like the guy at the head of at the head of blackrock the the fucking climate agenda that they are trying to institute as if it's some kind of grassroots thing is just a new regime of of capital accumulation in accordance with the needs of global capital and the way that you make global capital like if you're making something more efficient that means more productive which means more exploitative and there's no way to save the planet while maintaining a system of production whose entire premise is accumulation, like accumulating capital and you like exploiting working people and just burning through resources. That's that's built into the system. And so when I see these leftists like running around saying workers in the world unite. This scares the shit out of me. It's like you just want to set up a system that's just like primo maximal exploitation. Like these are just the resources we burn. Workers and the earth, we just, they're just like, they can unite and the owners can do what they want. It just, I don't know. It's, I just think the, the level of mystification is sort of off the charts. And I think that 
many of the people on the right, although they've sort of had a long history of this sort of Reaganist bullshit and the caping for capitalism, I think they're all starting to see the fact that this is not a functional way forward for them, especially now in like a post-industrial economy where the, actually the vast majority of capital is concentrated on the left, not on the right. Um, they're going to need to need to reorient themselves, I think, in this upcoming period. Exactly. No, but I, I, I think you're you're definitely right. And I feel like a lot of people are, are starting to to figure that out on the on the right. And right populism is, is definitely a big movement. And I guess left populism is also starting to be a big movement. But at the at the moment I kind of don't really see that much of a distinction of it. And that's I think that's kind of heartening because you know, a lot of people are, are having the same conclusions. Like, you know, we talked before the before I started recording, like, uh, you know, we probably agree on, you know, 95% of, of things. And I would probably not call myself a, a, a Marxist. Do I think the, the, the lens is really important, like you, you laid out. Um, but, you know, you kind of come to the same conclusions because, uh, you know, it's, 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 an, it's an unsustainable thing. And I feel like, you know, even even people who used to be in like the, the classical liberal camp and, you know, like, oh, my God, you know, capitalism is miraculous. And, and I do agree. I mean, I, I was born under communism. You know, don't, don't get me wrong. I really do think it is miraculous. But I feel like after a certain scale of capitalism, the, the, the type of capitalism that we have now, um, things degenerate into a direction that's not necessarily like, oh, you know, you're just you're just fulfilling needs. You're, you're you know, you're it's it's the only magical system that fulfills people's needs. And that's how people make money. We're at the point where it's now creating needs and it's, you know, it's 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 playing with like subconscious stuff like, you know, the, the easiest way to make money off of someone is to turn them into an addict. Uh, and then, you know, you have this, this essentially this addiction market where everything's turned into a slot machine and it's like, oh, you know, you're, you're just fulfilling needs. Kind of. You're not. But, you're creating them. You're like a desire yeah. is something that's manufactured. So if you manufacture, like, I, I think one of the things, I'm so glad you said that about addiction because I, I really do think the thing that made me so sure that I'm not a leftist was starting to notice the ways in which so much of their politics is premised on actually allowing gratuitously horrible things to happen and then um, capitalizing on on the pain and suffering that their policies and their politics have produced and 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 I think that's sicko shit you know like I when I was a kid I worked in a pharmacy for a few years after, like during during high school and, and a couple of years after. And and one thing I had real trouble and sort of almost refused to sell, refused to lie to people was all the all the weight loss crap. Um, and I just, I've always thought there's something contemptible about a society that sort of like sells people all this unhealthy food, makes them incredibly unhappy and alienated and turning to just like shitty food and like just junk to try to, get some sense of satisfaction and then like when they're miserable as a direct result of that you then sell them like you, you prey on their desperation and vulnerability to sell them um other garbage that doesn't work you know and that just i just always had a real problem with that and i feel increasingly as though what the left does is like it helps manufacture consent for and implement these policies that have entirely predictably abhorrent outcomes and then like in in the in the they sort of like chase the ambulance afterwards and pretend to sell you a solution 
and I just I'm so disturbed by this I'm so disturbed I think like one of the things that scares me the most is this empathy winds up being a device by which they obscure the political interests of their coalition so you know, you, you produce this society that's so alienated and where people are so unable to sort of self-actualize in a manner that's satisfying that they're sitting on a fucking subway using heroin. And then you have the so-called, like, you know, these... The so-called, like, the tra- the the sort of, like, traditionalist of the left, like the, the family, like the pro-family, like trad wife of the left comes along and says this is totally fine what are you even talking about this is supposed to be like the the so the like the catholic like the the catholic conservative person on the left steps up and says this is totally fine he's not harming himself and he's not harming you like it's fine for people to be injecting themselves with heroin in the middle of a public transport carriage what are you even talking about it's just like this is gross. What uh, the idea that you would spout some like John Stuart Mill classical liberal bullshit in response to this, whilst also purporting to be Catholic, is to me contemptible. Like the idea that we live collectively and care about one another, to my mind, like whether you're Catholic or not Catholic, whether you consider yourself classic liberal or any other bullshit, like the idea that you could look at someone injecting heroin in broad daylight on a subway carriage and be like this is fine as though like feeling sorry for that man is a political response no it's the response of a bourgeois narcissist who's like basically oh yeah it's empathy no it's not what it is is bourgeois narcissism and she enjoys the fact that like she's superior to him and she doesn't have to do that she enjoys the fact that she can look at that and be like i'm so sorry you have to feel bad for him but feeling bad for him does nothing for him and it does nothing for anyone else. It does, I'm sorry, you don't just look at that and just have like this emotivist response that is just like, oh, me and my feelings. No, you should look at that and say we as a society collectively have obligations to this man and to each other to create a world where we are not okay with this. This is not okay. And not because there's any utility and sort of, holding up this man as some kind of individuated problem as if like we should shame people who are in this situation that achieves nothing either but to pretend that like that that that, that this is fine is to my mind um indicative of something very broken and um honestly like i don't see how you come back from that i don't see how you pretend that this is fine or that your emotional outpourings of fake sympathy do anything for anyone yeah sorry no no i i completely agree i was very um, shook by that (laughs) yeah it it was a it was a a a very strange reaction but it feels you know typical of of the person who's like you know an elite has the has kind of the, the personality profile of someone who would never do that also has you know enough resources to be insulated if they you know maybe have some coke in college or whatever and you know get into a, yes, an opioid problem so. and you know they, they people at that level never have to deal with the the consequences of, of going down that route and a lot of well that's know, the other thing yeah it scares me very much that these so-called like sympathy for someone who's having a drug problem is the exact like it's the exact antithesis of what that same person in that same economic position was saying 20 years ago and i feel as though both times so the sort of like punitivity in relation to crack and the sort of hyper incarceration or the rest of it 
that was the elite response then. And then by the same token, this toleration of it now perfectly maps onto the destruction of white people via opioid addiction that's happening and has been happening for the last 20 years. So on the one hand, the CIA floods inner city communities with crack and helps destroy people as their factories were leaving, as this sort of deindustrialization of the urban areas happens. You have all these people wind up sort of in these sort of crime and drug-riddled decay and disaster, and then that gets sort of cleaned up via hyper-incarceration. And by the same token, you know, you flip the script and start messaging a, like, toleration of drugs meme at the same time as drugs are killing, you know, 100,000 people in the middle of the country 20 years later. Like, it's like, it, it seems as if in both cases, like, it seems as if in both cases, it's just perfectly calibrated to just getting rid of worthless, worthless as in true capital, people, you know, <laughs> people who are unproductive and no longer useful. Yeah, it's and just washing your hands of it, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. It's not getting involved. It's either either it's like full personal responsibility, which is also a, a level that is, is impossible because, you know, like we said, this is a world of addictions. This is targeted. We've been a society. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. This society, <laughs> our era, the regime is full yeah. of, you know, it's pointed at, you know, at your most base desires and knows very well how to weaponize those against you. If you're not prepared, if you don't have insulation, not just against money. You, but like to its own ends. That's the other thing. It's yeah. like to its own ends. It's not just like against you personally. It's like, it's actually very useful for the system to be having this so-called like, um, don't don't judge drug users. It's like nobody's dr- judging drug users, but the moment you're still maintaining that methodological individualism, the, the, the outcome in either case, whether that methodological individualism leads you to then being, you know, hyper-incarcerating, criminalizing individuals, or whether it leads you to sort of turning a blind eye when you have like a, you know, this chronic massive problem of opioid deaths, like either way, the only point of this individualism that these people operate through is to ignore the actual collective problem. As you said, it, it, the, the, the point is to allow the system to just continue doing what it's doing. Um, yeah, as long as you don't have to pay a price for it. Because, you know, back in the day with hyper-incarceration, you, you know, you still had, maybe it was also because, you know, you didn't, it was almost pre-white flight. So people, you know, they were more affected about, of, by these, by these circumstances. So they wanted police to step in. Now that, you know, most of these people live far away from, from, from these situations, you know, they've got their gated communities, they've got their high rises and portiers totally. and all that, um, you know, it's, it's even more distant. So, you know, just say, you know this is you know you're bigoted for noticing someone shooting up in the subway is is an easier and even more cleaner way to wash your hands of it um it's yeah it's, it's, sorry fam. just have nice feelings just have nice emotions be a nice person yeah. okay um <laughs> yeah and it's it's like this, look this the other way thing. it's fine it's it really is you know kind of a, a reneging on our responsibility towards each other like you said yes it's like that's the thing that i find so abiding about it is that like if you go around purporting to be this person who's i'm so moral i i'm so christian this that and the rest but like if your christianity you know much like much like the aspects of the moral majority or evangelical movement like if your christianity is just 
a front for your own um, interests and your own accumulation of power, then I do have contempt for that. And I do think it should be problematized because at a certain point, like that, that softness and sort of um, fake, um, like, like I, I really think these people like AOC, the CIA lady, Greta Thunberg, and, and the person to whom we're referring obliquely, they, they weaponize this sort of like perfectly manufactured meme of a kind of angelic Jesus figure. Um, and the more you buy that, which is the whole point of members of the CIA walking around saying I have chronic anxiety disorder, the more you buy that bullshit of this person who's just vulnerable and gentle, the more you ignore all of the different ways in which they do have power. They are exercising that power. And I think quite frankly, they are, they are frequently, I think, abusing that power. Um, it's sort of almost perfectly calibrated to obscure that. And that's why I am willing to take the hits first and, and make people dislike me intensely as it turns out is sort of the consequence. But I don't mind people disliking me if it means that I can take a few licks off these like perfectly manufactured and fake images that allow you to ignore the reality of what's going on. Um, I, I think we do need to be a lot more hip to the fact that all of these um, sort of avatars, all of these sort of like actors to a certain, in a certain sense, like just because you think you have intimate access to somebody's life via social media, um, it does not in fact mean that you have intimate access to somebody's life via social media. You have, they are cultivating a sense of false intimacy to allow you to, to buy whatever bullshit they're selling at any given moment. Um, and that's deliberative. It's strategic, it's tactical, and it all takes place on these platforms that are valued at four, five, six, seven billion dollars within Silicon Valley for that very reason. That's, that's the utility of these platforms, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's um there's there's another question I wanted to ask you about how you see these platforms uh changing the the face of politics because you know obviously you have these you know these avatars you know all of these narrative actors playing around but you've been you've been on these sites for a hell of a lot longer than me you've seen kind of this this thing evolve this this egregore or these multi multi-headed hydras that we're, we're we're engaging with every day like do you think this has been you know, as, as powerful as it feels or like, yes, yes. I think for the last five years, all these leftoids have sort of um, repeatedly and endlessly told me that I'm just imagining things that I need to log off all this bullshit. And like, I want to be very clear that I am not saying that having a quote unquote big Twitter account or whatever the fuck is legitimate and actual power in the real world. In fact, I think almost proportionally, like, the fact that so many of these motherfuckers have no actual power as such, like all these stupid little discourse avatars that are just like, oh, I am garbage man. Oh, I am dirty bastard worthless guy. Like I am grubby. Like all these sort of accounts that our mutual friend seasonal click farm worker was just like, yeah, this like this like fake dirty fetishism of this like oh, dirtbag. Like it, the whole point of that is, I think, very similar to that whole thing we we're talking about before. As in, like I have no power. Don't look over here. Whatever. And it's like individually as a person offline. Of course you don't. But like within this particular space, what you're advancing is the the unbroken narrative of the actual power structure. You are policing the bounds of. Uh, the ways in which ideologies are being manufactured. So 
sure, as an individual, when you log off and leave your day job, which is effectively to some extent what this is for a lot of these people, you may not have real power in the real world. But this is analogous to saying to somebody who works at like one of these sort of missile companies or some shit like that. Yeah, when they're on their computer all day at work, they're doing stuff with like there's real meaningful power in the world that is advancing the interests of very powerful people in the world. To, to then say to them when they get off and, you know, go back home to their like um, house in the burbs with a picket fence to, to, it's equivalent to them saying, look, I don't have any power. Like I'm just like a family man. It's like, yes, these things can both be true that like you're advancing the interests of very powerful actors with much broader, larger interests than your individual interests as a human being. But like, can we just like both, can we all just grow up? Like to my mind, like social relations like a very core premise of a Marxist analysis of the world is about social relations, not about like individuals. So if these like powerful actors set up these um, interwoven, interlaced sets of social relations through which their class interests are advanced, of course the individuals, like one node in a broad and overlapping set of social relations of course, an individual in that is not like some big boss in a smoke-filled room. That's not how it works anymore. The whole point is that this is like flat and networked and like every single person within it has fucking plausible deniability. That's the point. Like, um, I think that that power within capitalism is largely like uh, there's a huge amount of like um, anarchy in the sort of ruling class layers, even as they still manage to have pretty hardcore discipline at the same time it's sort of the 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 binary like the exact like equal and opposite end if that makes sense so sort of I don't know something like I I think the sort of the moment at which all the George Floyd shit started happening and you saw like simultaneously the anarchy of it and the the sort of spontaneity of it and then yet at the same time this sort of totalizing conformity and consensus in the in the ways in which it just all took place all at once suddenly you have like every different sort of capitalist organization is like they're all back in the same party line they're all like saying the same crap and it's all like every single you know these 20 different sort of corporations suddenly on the instagram have like almost the same logos and like it just sort of it's like like it's the the sort of like equal and opposite reaction um, like that, the the sort of anarchy and spontaneity and and disunity actually belies a very um, consistent set of class imperatives and a consistent and internetworked and interlinked set of institutions that all sort of operate, um, yeah, in an interlinked, interwoven manner. Like I think the that time story about the election was another perfect example that sort of showed the ways in which this is all actually just happening at a slightly subterranean level and so i really do think that that sort of notion of um of color revolution and and of like even just things like a shock doctrine that Naomi Klein wrote about in the 90s like i actually just think that's the way in which society is being um managed these days and i think for far too long um the the willingness of of people in sort of our strata to pretend that sort of these bullshit like civil society groups like unions um actually represent working people and that 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 working people are like that that we are acting in the interests of people other than ourselves is um 
part of the problem. Like I don't, I don't pretend to represent some constituency other than myself. Like I, I try to say things that are sort of consistent with my understanding of Marx, but like, as far as I'm concerned, like this is sort of a, I, I welcome and I want to talk to other people. I'd love to hear other people's thoughts on these things, but it seems to me that there's a very, very much a bunch of sort of orchestrated actors that um, kind of just basically representing like NGO and political party lines and acting as though you're um, a crazy person. If you notice the just like kind of very rigid discipline that is actually controlling most of what they're saying and doing and the interests that they support, like I am. Um, yeah, for for sure, it's um, you know, it's 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 pretty transparent when to, when you were outside of it. I mean, do you think that your perspective, as you know, you're you're in Australia, and I mean, I think this is not a, a secret, but uh, uh, the <laughs> she doesn't even go here. <laughs> no, but I I really feel like you like know, like you I, said, I, capitalism's I, global. Like it's yeah, just for sure. like. Everything sure. that Not happens in America happens bad. here five minutes later exactly, and similar with exactly. yourself. It's like it's, just it's the same, yeah, but I, I really do feel like, you know, not necessarily being in the middle of it, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you're in the eye of the storm if you're there, you know, and, and this, that's kind of the water you swim in. I feel like it, it's easier in a way to see it from the outside. Like I would say probably half half the people that have been on the show that have you know subversive should to say about uh, about uh, you know politics in america are not necessarily american or they're you know immigrants or, or there's some there's some little bit of you know angle that they have on it where it's pretty easy to see the bullshit like 100 percent, 100 percent, 100 percent. i think like from even from within the left myself like the fact that i had always like intuitively thought of like stupidly i guess in retrospect but I always thought of the left as being something primarily as in like, I want working class people to have a decent go. I want people to have a decent wage, be able to see a doctor. Like none of this stuff is especially complicated. And I do think actually like a few years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, I was far more um, sort of persuaded by the idea that actually like sort of, you know, um, that, that, that sort of some form of um, implicit racism or something was actually what was, uh, was, at hand um in these sort of, like i guess i just sort of like was far too willing to sort of think that things like representation or bigotry or whatever had some operative part to play and sort of that these quote-unquote like you know championing of the, the the memes that they sell you like oh we need more like you know um it's race like the blm shit about it being about racism blah blah i think what they do is they smuggle in enough stuff that people like me make, they buy the cultural line, but only because it's packaged in with actually substantive stuff. Like police are way too militarized. We're sending all these like army shit to fucking local metropolitan police departments. And like um, a huge part of the like do both bullshit is that they sell you, they tell you a little bit of the truth and, and you sort of, start to think that actually this is all like uh, we can do both no you can't do actually do both it's just the cultural agenda which is in fact the class agenda of a certain strata of people who are not the people that they claim to be caring about like i i think it was far more willing to sort of fall for that to some extent because it's like fed you through um through an absolute like fire hose and then it, you sort of get to a point where it's like hang on no like 
police are just doing a job and within a capitalist order, like they just are doing what they're told to protect the interests of people at the top. And, you know, so something like BLM, where if all of a sudden, like every member of the Democratic Party and its foot soldiers who've been singing like, um, we wish you a mule at Christmas the last five years as like the deep state held uh, with these rolling coups, someone who was actually elected. If you're going to be doing this like anti-police shit, but it really only manifests as like anti-individual police officers who get paid $60,000 a year and happen to support the Republican Party. But like you're looking the other way whenever the CIA is like the CIA and I might add the AFL-CIO are doing like interventions in other countries, but then you're calling yourself anti-cop. It just starts to feel like just a big lie and that, and that like they, all that crap is the actual point. They don't like the, and the stuff that got me to sort of be willing to sort of mouth the platitudes of that stuff, you know, the things that I actually care about are nowhere to be found in this politics. And you then you sort of start to realize that, like, I don't know, I, I do think that, like, not being captured in any way by the um, fairly all-encompassing patronage networks of the Democratic Party machine is a critical part of this. And that's why I was so, like, um, no bullshit about my support for Edwin and the Bellows is because, like, if you actually look under the hood at any of these, like, so-called, like, small, um, like, little media outlets, even just the podcast, any of it within the United States, every single bit of it is tied six ways to Sunday to the Democratic Party and its political coalition. And so, like, you, so they sort of want to make it as though you need to be, like, directly paid by Joe Biden in some kind of like quid pro quo bribery way to like rep the party line. It's like, no, if you work in some kind of like anything that is intrinsically like linked into this set of actors, then your interests and the interests of your institution are tied into the interests of that coalition. So like so much of this is implicit. And so like, it doesn't take people consciously lying. It takes people like sort of saying and doing what they believe to be best because the institutions through which they live their lives have constantly propagated a certain party line. And so they're going to reflect that. Whereas like, I don't go to school or work and have all this bullshit being peppered through my brain all day, every day. I don't have people at my job thinking that like, it's, you know, transphobic or racist to like, not want to sleep with a person. Do you know what I mean? Like I just, Australia is very nonchalant about so much of this stuff. And I know, and it's not because I'm some like dipshit, ignorant white girl. Like my dad's a migrant. Like I very much like, you know, one in two Australian people is either an immigrant or, or the child of immigrants. And those immigrants are not just from fucking England. They're from all over the world. So this like American idea that, necessarily like that Australia some racist country is a complete lie but what Australia is is a country that's not um quote-unquote politically correct which I think is like actually a good thing because what it means is like people can be sort of ignorant or impolite or just crass in certain ways but actually that's very much like a sort of social lubricant that gets people to actually value each other in meaningful and deep and thick ways. Like if you can't joke with someone, if you can't like have a laugh and tease each other, 
I don't really know how connected you are, you know. So we don't have all these like etiquette rules here um, about like the ways in which you can sort of engage someone on the basis of race. It's just like, yeah, people sometimes say things that are inappropriate, but like at the same time, like I sometimes say things about myself and make jokes about like like sort of racialized or gendered jokes. And then when people laugh at them, like you, that's how you sort of know that there is a mutual interest here because like we can laugh at each other, you know. And I think very much that sort of um, the, what is sort of normative here is very much not the case in America um, in ways that allow you to sort of have a very different, as you suggested, a very different sort of perspective on what's going on over there. Like to me, the idea that you need to frame everything through a racial frame is crazy. Like, and the fact that I don't racialize the way I talk about certain things means all these people like start calling me racist. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Like I've dated, like I dated an African American guy who's like grew up in Australia um, for a couple of years. Like we just never really talked about race because who gives a shit? It just wasn't a thing. We just see each other as people. <laughs> so, like, and so I think like the, the sort of front loading of all that sort of stuff is um, very unique to them. And I think it plays, yeah, I think a very uh, interesting role in sort of mystifying the actual political interests and agendas of people um people involved yeah yeah it's um it's it's essentially the the same here i mean kind of being from from eastern europe where you have all these like fractured little communities and you know eastern europe is maybe not a melting pot but it's like a live together type place because you know like I'm, yeah i live like on a very close to border to hungary you know half the mm -hmm. people here are hungarian they speak hungarian like the, the shop signs are in two languages and you know it's it's absolutely it's just a, a normal thing and but but you can also see like these american psychoses kind of trickling in and you know people being you know there's kids going off to black lives matter marches and it was just you know i take a walk just waddle around the, the neighborhood of, you know every day for a little bit and then i can see the graffiti is changing like there's this there's a lot of blm graffiti in this place where i think there might be like a handful of black people just like as students to the local university but it's it's just such a such a foreign you know idea but it's you know you can see that you know the kids have kind of picked up picked up on it and it's like it's, it's a meme that's coming up and like you said you know it's we're you know five minutes down the pipe and you know this is gonna this is gonna boom here as well in somewhere or another it's gonna find an outlet but it's uh i don't know it's it's, it's a very strange uh, mind virus to have in a place where it's just not a thing it's not a not a relevant dimension yeah see we have like we have politically in australia um the history of sort of like the, the the sort of colonial settler history of Australia and sort of certainly even just I, I think more what is far more relevant in a contemporary sense is the ways in which um, Indigenous young people, especially Indigenous young men are criminalised is I think a very real problem and, and it's not a real problem in terms of police individually being racist or over policing. It's a problem in terms of when you deprive remote indigenous communities of, of resources and then um, you sort of uh, fail to have um, culturally cognizant sort of uh, policies and governance for different people who have been historically um, sort of marginalized or excluded from a more sort of generic and mainstream kind of sort of Australian civic identity. 
um, if you if you sort of fail in your governance or your or your sort of like working with these people such extended periods of time if they've been deprived not only of resources but like of of the capacity to live kind of in meaningful ways with each other and then with um with the rest of society then then that has consequences that are very real but they're very particular they're very specific um to our country and to and to the things that have happened here and the ways in which that's played out and so like to me the idea that um this like wholesale american discourse is imported into australia as though like black as though the problems here are as basic as like australians broadly being racist towards indigenous people it's like this again this just is such a narcissistic discourse to me because like the, actually, the tragedy is that, and I've done a lot of work on this. It was something I specialized in, in in university in part, and it's something that I worked on afterwards. Is like actually the vast majority of Australians, particularly wealthy Australians, don't really think about Indigenous Australians, and if they do, it's with a sort of vague and resigned curiosity. And so, like, so so to import this notion of Black Lives Mattering and not mattering is to fundamentally ignore the heart of the problem because most like we can, it's so easy to sit around and say, actually, yes, indigenous lives should matter. And guess what, bitch, we did that with a bunch of Australian Royal commissions into particular things like uh, the Royal commission into indigenous deaths in custody, uh, deaths in custody, which is something we did in, in 92. And, you know, there was this huge targeted, um, uh, commission legally into all of the factors that were producing just a just a hideously disproportionate rate of indigenous people dying in police custody and most of these things are, are material but not just in the, in some like generic class sense as in like there are specific policies um, and specific class contradictions that are producing this and we would need to implement like the the, the high commission gave I think it was something like 150 different recommendations something like 12 of them have been implemented in the last 30 years. So like none of this is about like racism, not racism, black people mattering, not mattering. It's just like there's a whole bunch of failures that just compound over time. And so like if all you're doing is sit around deciding that things do or don't matter and then your solution is, oh, well, let's have more equity in like um, the bank, like the boardrooms of Westpac Australia Bank and let's also like print up some pamphlets that like um, fetishize indigenous australian culture um i mean we did that at the olympics you know you can incorporate all this like symbolic bullshit and say like yes we you know we do this another thing we've done here for 30 years is that like the sort of heads of um heads of either industry or government at the beginning of any kind of event will get up and give like a land acknowledgement you know we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land the eora people um and and pay respect to their elders past and present when i grew up i went to this fairly fancy high school that was on the sort of sydney harbor and and i just found always something conspicuously jarring about these phrases because it's like bitch you're sitting on like probably a hundred million dollars worth of land next to Sydney Harbour. You don't like how can you sit and say that you acknowledge it as and what pay? What does that even mean? Yeah, it, like you don't acknowledge it. If what are you going to give it back? Like who are you acknowledging? This is just like such self-affirming pablum. That sort of like 
a catechism that makes you feel better about the fact that you've got resources and money and other people don't it just feels very much like a conspicuous washing of one's hands in public like a this kind of sort of wink and a nod and it's fine and so like i've always been very i just have always had an intuitive distaste for bullshit and i think so much of this whole thing is just a load of bullshit that is like not about the thing it's ostensibly claiming to be about and i think that um increasingly when you when you sort of say hang on i don't i think this is actually pretty fucking dishonest people then say oh well this this is because you are in fact racist it's just like this is silly and i think that um when you sort of see the ways in which it maps onto or is like imported wholesale into countries where it doesn't um make any kind of sense is when you start to see just how the like stupid the whole thing is like i i think something i found very funny was when our mutual friend angela wrote an article last year about sort of the, like the very specific ways in which this is becomes like a culturally imperialist discourse when you have like all these different non-government organizations in ireland which is basically being treated as a money pit through which like all these major corporations do like double dutch irish sandwiches to just avoid paying taxes <laughs> you see all these little like front groups and shell organizations that they do that do all this like cultural imperialism to boot it's just like at a certain point like to pretend that this is anything other than an imperialist discourse is facile. And then, you know, I, I found it so bizarre the way in which many leftists in America then responded to what she was saying by saying, what about left internationalism? I'm like, there's never been a left internationalism. There's been either there's proletarian internationalism, which is to suggest that like actually working people in every country have mutual interests because the moment you start thinking about your interests as a set of national interests, all that people who own everything end up doing is playing you off against one another. Like there is a proletarian internationalism, but there's no like form or institutions through which that's currently being enacted, right? So there's that. But the idea of a left internationalism is farcical because the left means the left of capital, which is the left of capital in each different country. And those countries are necessarily in imperialist competition with each other. That's what nation state, that's what a nation state is. And so just because through the latter half of the 20th century, they institute all these like multilateral treaties and all this like human rights discourse crap to like paper over and sort of control the, like, control imperialist competition with, like, a smiley face instead of guns doesn't make it any less imperialist. And that's why I think we see things like Black Lives Matter and all the LGBTQ shit and all the rest. It's just a form of, like, soft imperialism with, like, a smiley face. But the sort of the weaponization of it and the ways in which it's um, quite often totally anathema to the countries in which it's being imposed is... I think that's where you see the very imperialist aspects of it. The fact that like you are now almost obliged to pay deference is like ridiculous meme ideology that's got nothing. It says nothing to or about the experiences or the needs of indigenous people here, like at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, it's a, I mean, it's, 
it's 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 pretty universal now and it's it's kind of it, it is it's getting a bit a bit ridiculous i think mean, i saw like a an an article about uh some someone getting like a a promotion in australia and they're like oh the first indigenous person but they looked very very white passing and i think there were quite a few of you're these. not allowed to say that <laughs> well I'm, I'm saying it but <laughs> it did not look indigenous at all uh and the, yeah, the fact that this is high leverage yeah. yeah, it's I don't know. It's it's a it's a high leverage position to be in. Um, anyway, before before I let you go, because I know we've we've <laughs> crossed the line a little bit here. Um, I wanted to ask you the question of the show. Um, do you have a subversive thinker, writer, someone that, you know, is not getting enough uh, of the limelight that people should know about that people should read uh, that you'd like to recommend? That's really interesting. I think I'm just I'm just gonna have to um, lean back on <laughs> an old <laughs> an old favorite, and I think people should read more of Rosa Luxemburg. I think so much of what's happening, sort of increasingly, on um, aspects of the right, are really starting to see elements of the fuckery of the left that I think um, people like Rosa Luxemburg were anticipating and quote unquote calling out a <laughs> hundred years ago. Um, so sort of something that is very much informed my analysis of things like imperialism and these petty bourgeois, like racial and gendered ideologies, feminism, um, sex work, like so many of these aspects of this sort of like a decrepit degeneracy of the left wing of capital, um, were very much anticipated and criticized by Rosa Luxemburg, like, you know, a hundred years before any of us were sort of tip-tapping about them on Twitter. So I definitely recommend reading maybe um, some of her pamphlets. They're all available online for free at Marxist Book. So okay. do that. Well, yeah, this is definitely not something that's been recommended here before. And I, I imagine yeah. with my audience, probably less so. But I think, yeah, I, I have Give it a try. One. They'd be surprised. I've had some real reactionaries say, whoa, based, based Rosa Luxemburg. <laughs> so okay, definitely well, worth the read. <laughs> read based Rosa Luxemburg and listen to what's left. And also, uh, is there any other thing that you're working on or you'd like people to know about? Any place to point them? Because at the moment you're you're in suspended animation, I think. Uh... Yes, my my hate is a legion on Twitter, where I normally am. Um, I will, I'll give my handle because I'll probably get it back eventually. So it's at Amy Therese. Um, but in the interim, I'm I, I'm starting to sort of collate my thoughts into some more long form stuff, which I think has been a long time coming. Um, but I think that the sort of the the um, control mechanisms online are seemingly like impenetrable at the present on Twitter. So I think I'll actually start putting some some long form stuff out um, with some of our friends who have a bunch of different platforms. So yeah, just just sort of keep an eye out. Good. You also uh, have a Substack. Well. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I haven't written much on there to be honest. I I had a couple of things to say about sort of like the open borders bullshit and um, initially the 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 pro act and stuff. So yeah, you can definitely subscribe to that as well too. I should probably put some stuff on there too. So that's um at Amy Therese is the I think that's the handle there. So 
<laughs> but I'll give you a link so you can put that in the notes anyway. <laughs> Perfect. I'll put I'll put all your links in the notes and the the handle that you know keeps um, popping on and off. <laughs> I mean, what happened this latest <laughs> time? What was the reason? Or do, do you ever even well, get a reason anymore? Well, I don't know. I no, I didn't get a reason this time, and and I know how it works. Is that actually they all have. Um, basically, all of my tweets are saved to spreadsheets. They have alarms set up um, so that if what they do is initiate mass reports. And so there is a certain algorithmic minimum where if you get enough people reporting you or your tweet, irrespective of the contents, they will take your account down. And this is what they did to the show account last year. This is what they did to my account last year. Um and then I have like a graveyard of, of smaller accounts that I started subsequent to that. So, I mean, I think the primary thing is that once you reach a certain amount of followers, um, they can't stop you. And that's why they keep trying to stop me. So, um, yeah, it's it's pretty like deliberative. And I think you see the, the these motherfuckers at the New Republic, um, all celebrating when I get taken offline. That's that's not normal for people that I don't interact with at elite liberal publications to be celebrating the fact that I'm getting off, booted offline. Like I don't, I don't interact with Jeet here and all these other kooks. Like why are they? Why does it concern them? And I can tell you why it concerns them is because a bunch of them have literal like orchestrated operations to get me kicked offline. That's why they're talking about it. So. It's all pretty stupid, but hopefully I'll be able to get somebody at Twitter to to um, perhaps put a note on my account or something to prevent that happening again, but we shall see. <laughs> if anyone see at Twitter is watching this, which I highly doubt, but if any one of you has any sort of little institutional gram of power in there, just, you know, go in there, put a note on Amy's account and just yeah, that would her. be very <laughs> yeah the anarcho tyranny of twitter basically <laughs> exactly exactly yeah many, many comrades you know maybe may yeah, many such cases <laughs> cool. thank you so All much one out. This was, oh this my was pleasure really thank fun. you so much for having me yeah, it was fun <laughs> if you like what you're hearing want to see where i take it and maybe want early access to episodes, bonus episodes, access to the AMA, or you just want to support the cause of dissident speech or my work in general, head to my Patreon at patreon.com slash aksubversive. Your donations are what keeps the lights on and makes the show possible, so thank you. <laughs>